part one section four of swan's way by marcel proust translated by c k scott moncrief eighteen eighty nine to nineteen thirty this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine section four their interest grew however when the day before swan was to dine with us and when he had made them a special present of a case of asti my great-aunt who had in her hand a copy of the figaro in which to the name of a picture then on view in a corot exhibition were added the words from the collection of m charles swann asked did you see that swann is mentioned in the figaro but i have always told you said my grandmother that he had plenty of taste you would of course retorted my great-aunt say anything just to seem different from us or knowing that my grandmother never agreed with her and not being quite confident that it was her own opinion which the rest of us invariably endorsed she wished to extort from us a wholesale condemnation of my grandmother's views against which she hoped to force us into solidarity with her own but we sat silent my grandmother's sisters having expressed a desire to mention to swan this reference to him in the figaro my great-aunt dissuaded them whenever she saw in others an advantage however trivial which she herself lacked she would persuade herself that it was no advantage at all but a drawback and would pity so as not to have to envy them i don't think that would please him at all i know very well i should hate to see my name printed like that as large as life in the paper and i shouldn't feel at all flattered if anyone spoke to me about it she did not however put any very great pressure upon my grandmother's sisters for they in their horror of vulgarity had brought to such a fine art the concealment of a personal allusion in a wealth of ingenious circumlocution that it would often pass unnoticed even by the person to whom it was addressed as for my mother her only thought was of managing to induce my father to consent to speak to swan not of his wife but of his daughter whom he worshipped and for whose sake it was understood that he had ultimately made his unfortunate marriage you need only say a word just ask him how she is it must be so very hard for him my father however was annoyed no no you have the most absurd ideas it would be utterly ridiculous but the only one of us in whom the prospect of swan's arrival gave rise to an unhappy foreboding was myself and that was because on the evenings when there were visitors or just monsieur swan in the house mamma did not come up to my room i did not at that time have dinner with the family i came out to the garden after dinner and at nine i said good-night and went to bed but on these evenings i used to dine earlier than the others and to come in afterwards and sit at table until eight o'clock when it was understood that i must go upstairs that frail and precious kiss which mamma used always to leave upon my lips when i was in bed and just going to sleep i had to take with me from the dining-room to my own and to keep inviolate all the time that it took me to undress without letting its sweet charm be broken without letting its volatile essence diffuse itself and evaporate and just on those very evenings when i must needs take most pains to receive it with due formality i had to snatch it to seize it instantly and in public without even having the time or being properly free to apply what i was doing the punctiliousness which madmen use who compel themselves to exclude all other thoughts from their minds while they are shutting a door so that when the sickness of uncertainty sweeps over them again they can triumphantly face and overcome it 
with a recollection of the precise moment in which the door was shut we were all in the garden when the double peal of the gate-bell sounded shyly every one knew that it must be swan and yet they looked at one another inquiringly and sent my grandmother scouting see that you thank him intelligibly for the wine my grandfather warned his two sisters-in-law you know how good it is and it is a huge case now don't start whispering said my great-aunt how would you like to come into a house and find every one muttering to themselves ah there's monsieur swan cried my father let's ask him if he thinks it will be fine to-morrow my mother fancied that a word from her would wipe out all the unpleasantness which my family had contrived to make swan feel since his marriage she found an opportunity to draw him aside for a moment but i followed her i could not bring myself to let her go out of reach of me while i felt that in a few minutes i should have to leave her in the dining-room and go up to my bed without the consoling thought as on ordinary evenings that she would come up later to kiss me now monsieur swann she said do tell me about your daughter i am sure she shows a taste already for nice things like her papa come along and sit down here with us all on the veranda said my grandfather coming up to him my mother had to abandon the quest but managed to extract from the restriction itself a further refinement of thought as great poets do when the tyranny of rhyme forces them into the discovery of their finest lines we can talk about her again when we are by ourselves she said or rather whispered to swann it is only a mother who can understand i am sure that hers would agree with me and so we all sat down round the iron table i should have liked not to think of the hours of anguish which i should have to spend that evening alone in my room without the possibility of going to sleep i tried to convince myself that they were of no importance really since i should have forgotten them next morning and to fix my mind on thoughts of the future which would carry me as on a bridge across the terrifying abyss that yawned at my feet but my mind strained by this foreboding distended like the look which i shot at my mother would not allow any other impression to enter thoughts did indeed enter it but only on the condition that they left behind them every element of beauty or even of quaintness by which i might have been distracted or beguiled as a surgical patient by means of a local anaesthetic can look on with a clear consciousness while an operation is being performed upon him and yet feel nothing i could repeat to myself some favourite lines or watch my grandfather attempting to talk to swann about the duc d'audrifet pasquier without being able to kindle any emotion from one or amusement from the other hardly had my grandfather begun to question swann about that orator when one of my grandmother's sisters in whose ears the question echoed like a solemn but untimely silence which her natural politeness bade her interrupt addressed the other with just fancy flora i met a young swedish governess to-day who told me some most interesting things about the cooperative movement in scandinavia we really must have her to dine here one evening to be sure said her sister flora but i haven't wasted my time either i met such a clever old gentleman at monsieur vantoy's who knows maubon quite well and maubon has told him every little thing about how he gets up his parts it is the most interesting thing i ever heard he is a neighbour of monsieur vantoy's and i never knew and he is so nice besides monsieur vantoy's is not the only one who has nice neighbours cried my aunt Celine in a voice which seemed loud because she was so timid and seemed forced because she had been planning the little speech for so long darting as she spoke what she called a significant glance at swann and my aunt flora who realized that this veiled utterance 
was Celine's way of thanking Swan intelligibly for the Asti, looked at him with a blend of congratulation and irony, either just because she wished to underline her sister's little epigram, or because she envied Swan his having inspired it, or merely because she imagined that he was embarrassed and could not help having a little fun at his expense. I think it would be worth while, Flora went on, to have this old gentleman to dinner. When you get him upon Maubon or Madame Materna, he will talk for hours on end. That must be delightful, sighed my grandfather, in whose mind nature had unfortunately forgotten to include any capacity whatsoever for becoming passionately interested in the cooperative movement among the ladies of Sweden or in the methods employed by Maubon to get up his parts, just as it had forgotten to endow my grandmother's two sisters with a grain of that precious salt which one has oneself to add to taste in order to extract any savour from a narrative of the private life of Molay or of the Comte de Paris. I say, exclaimed Swann to my grandfather, what I was going to tell you has more to do than you might think with what you were asking me just now, for in some respects there has been very little change. I came across a passage in Saint-Simon this morning which would have amused you. It is in the volume which covers his mission to Spain, not one of the best, little more in fact than a journal, but at least it is a journal wonderfully well written, which fairly distinguishes it from the devastating journalism that we feel bound to read in these days, morning, noon, and night. I do not agree with you. There are some days when I find reading the papers very pleasant indeed, my Aunt Flora broke in, to show Swan that she had read the note about his Corot in the Figaro. Yes, Aunt Celine went one better, when they write about things or people in whom we are interested. I don't deny it, answered Swan in some bewilderment. The fault I find with our journalism is that it forces us to take an interest in some fresh triviality or other every day, whereas only three or four books in a lifetime give us anything that is of real importance. Suppose that every morning when we tore the wrapper off our paper with fevered hands, a transmutation were to take place, and we were to find inside it, oh, I don't know, shall we say Pascal's Pensee? She articulated the title with an ironic emphasis so as not to appear pedantic and then in the gilt and tooled volumes which we open once in ten years he went on showing that contempt for the things of this world which even men of the world like to affect we should read that the queen of the hellenes had arrived at cannes or that the princess de or that the princess de lyon had given a fancy dress ball in that way we should arrive at the right proportion between information and publicity but at once regretting that he had allowed himself to speak even in jest of serious matters he added ironically we are having a most entertaining conversation i cannot think why we climb to these lofty summits and then turning to my grandfather well saint-simon tells how molevrier had had the audacity to offer his hand to his sons you remember how he says of molevrier never did i find in that coarse bottle anything but ill-humour boorishness and folly coarse or not i know bottles in which there is something very different said flora briskly feeling bound to thank swan as well as her sister since the present of asti had been addressed to them both Celine began to laugh swan was puzzled but went on i cannot say whether it was his ignorance or a trap writes saint-simon he wished to give his hand to my children i noticed it in time to prevent him my grandfather was always in ecstasy over ignorance or a trap but miss Celine the name of Saint-Simon, a man of letters, having arrested the complete paralysis of her sense of hearing, had grown angry. What? You admire that, do you? 
well it is clever enough but what is the point of it does he mean that one man isn't as good as another what difference can it make whether he is a duke or a groom so long as he is intelligent and good he had a fine way of bringing up his children your saint simon if he didn't teach them to shake hands with all honest men really and truly it's abominable and you dare to quote it and my grandfather utterly depressed realizing how futile it would be for him against this opposition to attempt to get swann to tell him the stories which would have amused him murmured to my mother just tell me again that line of yours which always comforts me so much on these occasions oh yes what virtues lord thou makest us abhor good that is very good i never took my eyes off my mother i knew that when they were at table i should not be permitted to stay there for the whole of dinner-time and that mamma for fear of annoying my father would not allow me to give her in public the series of kisses that she would have had in my room and so i promised myself that in the dining-room as they began to eat and drink and as i felt the hour approach i would put beforehand into this kiss which was bound to be so brief and stealthy in execution everything that my own efforts could put into it would look out very carefully first the exact spot on her cheek where i would imprint it and would so prepare my thoughts that i might be able thanks to these mental preliminaries to consecrate the whole of the minute mamma would allow me to the sensation of her cheek against my lips as a painter who can have his subject for short sittings only prepares his palette and from what he remembers and from rough notes does in advance everything which he possibly can do in the sitter's absence but to-night before the dinner-bell had sounded my grandfather said with unconscious cruelty the little man looks tired he'd better go up to bed besides we are dining late to-night and my father who was less scrupulous than my grandmother or mother in observing the letter of a treaty went on yes run along to bed with you i would have kissed mamma then and there but at that moment the dinner-bell rang no no leave your mother alone you said good-night quite enough these exhibitions are absurd go on upstairs and so i must set forth without viaticum must climb each step of the staircase against my heart as the saying is climbing in opposition to my heart's desire which was to return to my mother since she had not by her kiss given my heart leave to accompany me forth that hateful staircase up which i always pass with such dismay gave out a smell of varnish which had to some extent absorbed made definite and fixed the special quality of sorrow that i felt each evening and made it perhaps even more cruel to my sensibility because when it assumed this olfactory guise my intellect was powerless to resist it when we have gone to sleep with the maddening toothache and are conscious of it only as a little girl whom we attempt time after time to pull out of the water or as a line of moliere which we repeat incessantly to ourselves it is a great relief to wake up so that our intelligence can disentangle the idea of toothache from any artificial semblance of heroism or rhythmic cadence it was the precise converse of this relief which i felt when my anguish at having to go up to my room invaded my consciousness in a manner infinitely more rapid instantaneous almost a manner at once insidious and brutal as i breathed in a far more poisonous thing than any moral penetration the peculiar smell of the varnish upon that staircase end of part one section four recording by expatriate in bangor maine